Hello, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is uh, a small talk podcast uh, coming in with, I believe, this is our eighth episode. Uh, and today we have a very interesting topic uh, encompassing a multitude of uh, other guests that I'm going to be bringing in as well. Uh, but they'll be coming in with uh, different perspectives of uh, from product as well as from design. And myself, of course, coming in from the engineering POV. Uh, so we're going to have a very interesting conversation today in regards to uh, how to build that sort of that winning formula of a product development team, or at least, you know, how to get uh, yourself working in a good uh, group or, you know, squad, as some of us might uh, be familiar with the Spotify squad, squadification model. Uh, but yeah, before we start, just to do a little bit of self-advertisement, uh, you know, of course, for this group, uh, we're part of big O development, uh, you know, in the past, we did like some meetup events uh, as well. And uh, hopefully in the future, we'll be doing some of that. Uh, yeah, but do subscribe to our LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube if I like, uh, if you like our content so far. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, uh, let me bring in my uh, fellow guests who are also going to be sharing with us their uh, opinions, you know, uh, as well as like the you know what uh, their value opinions as well as the pointers towards you know building that good product development team. Um, yep. So our topic today, as seen over here, uh, and the my guest is going to be uh, two of them. Uh, one of them, uh, Stephanie. She's a currently a product lead at Endowers, and Shirley. Uh, she used to be at PayPal uh, as a senior UX designer. Uh, so yeah, definitely their opinions uh, over here would be quite value in terms of understanding how can we get to, you know, that stage of a good product development team. So let me bring them in from the backstage. Good morning, Sher. Good morning, Stephanie. Hello, hello. Hi guys. How are you guys doing? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually already had a little bit of a chat before this entire live stream, of course, started. Uh, but yeah, yeah maybe let, let's just jump to the uh, questions directly. Uh, and then let's see, you know, where we can get from there. So uh, just to set in a bit of context for folks who uh, don't have, uh, who, who may not be familiar with the context of a product development team, especially, let's say, in the case of any software uh, firms, right? Like, essentially, in any uh, software companies, let's say, you know, if you're building, let's say, an online product, like, for example, you know, um, in a company called Ascenda, uh, we have a uh, platform as a service uh, tool where uh, fintech companies use, oh, sorry, not fintech companies, we are a fintech company. Other companies like banks use our tools to be able to put in their own loyalty program system. Okay, so for us, usually we have like sort of this product development uh, squad where you have software developers, product managers, as well as designers inside this mix. Okay, there's of course things that I deliberately uh, left out of here because of course we do have like, you know, guests representing them today, but there's also other areas like data. Uh, but that's it. So I, I want to use that and to drive that discussion today of, you know, how do we, or what's the key of creating a good, set up for that uh, product development team. Yeah. Maybe I'll start first. So I think uh, since I've noted down some pointers and also like, you know, shared with the other guests as well, of course, I also want to hear from their opinion uh, like how far, you know, uh, my points are true and what other points they have as well. Uh, for myself, I feel like this, uh, in terms of what's key to a good product development team, I think one of the key points that I usually like to say, maybe it goes even beyond uh, product development team, but more as a person, uh, I feel like uh, trust is that big thing. And I like to say that there's always that formula to trust, uh, which is 
trust is equivalent to is equivalent to integrity plus competency. Uh, so just one quick small example what I mean by that. Uh, if let's say, uh, let's say you you have a kid, you have a baby, and you need to let's say you are not able to take care of your baby for let's say a single day, you need to ask your friends to help you to do it. So would you choose someone uh, who has a lot of integrity, very honest person, but doesn't know how to take care of babies, have no experience in that, or would you ask someone? Uh, who has a lot of experience being a babysitter but has very little integrity. I think for most people, the answer is kind of like, you know, maybe in both areas, but actually I don't really want them as well. But you want someone in the center of those two things, which is someone with some integrity, someone who has the competency doing that as well. So I think that's what builds in into that formula of trust. La. Trust equals integrity plus competency. And for me, yeah, I feel that that trust itself, right, uh, builds in in between of tech, which is engineering, product, and design. Because the in terms of, let's say, like for design first, you need uh, product and tech to design, to trust that design is able to come up with the most feasible uh, user experience, trust that they are able to do their jobs well. And then tech, of course, will go into the, the sense of being able to execute it. And again, product and design would be uh, trusting that engineer, uh, the engineering team would give the right t-shirt sizing, the good estimates so that we can complete things on time. And then product, of course, being able to uh, set the base of this entire project itself, being able to, let's say, you know, uh, go back to, let's say, you know, the, the executives and answer in terms of like, you know, when these projects will be done. Uh, so that's my take, uh, at least as a base keystone, trust, I think is a really important thing. But I've blabbered on way too much. And this is the point where I will sabo my guests to uh, tell me what they think as well. So what's your take on this? What's the besides trust or adding on top of trust? Yeah, sure. I can I can jump in here. So I, I, I definitely agree with trust. Lah. I think besides trust, it's also like alignment. I guess from a PM perspective, that's very important. Like number one thing people always ask for, we can show you alignment with your team. Um, alignment being like I guess two two factors I could think of like one is being aligned on the outcomes that you want to solve for uh, of course you know knowing what problems you are trying to solve um, but also like the end user itself what sort of experience what sort of value do you want to give to the end user so I think alignment is pretty big for me just because in a in a startup things can change so fast I think it's just critical to have alignment um, I think the second thing besides alignment would be definitely relationships. I think to your point, right, you mentioned about as a person, you want to build trust and all that. But I think like just building that good, solid um, base of relationships with your team, engineers, designers, data analysts, I think that helps a lot because then, you know, whatever issues, whatever challenges you face, you know that you have this team that you can count on and support and get support from, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's my my two cents on this. Yeah, I think on, in fact, I would say both of those points of alignment and trust actually also kind of bleeds in together. Uh, and maybe I'll just coming from a very, I'll say naive la, standpoint as an engineer that coming, you know, now of course I'm more of a senior uh, person in my workplace now. But even as a junior person in the past, right, I think that trust in much more senior product managers who would be able to bring in that alignment that you're talking about. At least that person that can give me that motivation that, you know, I'm working on something really great. You know, the users, uh, they are, th there's something that, 
this final objectives, right? Not just talking about OKRs, but rather like, you know, the thing that we're building, it makes sense because there's some end user that will use it later on and there's some value that's driven out of there. And of course, there's some benefits that goes to the company we're working for as well. Yeah. Sure, what do you think? Um, I think definitely trust and alignment are some of the important things that is key to a product development team. Um, from my perspective, coming from someone who I would, I would call myself a facilitator. And my job in this trifecta is to actually facilitate these kind of conversations. So I would say transparency and communication would be what leads to trust and alignment. Um, I, I think in a company like PayPal, where you are kind of, um, so, so I, I'm working, I'm working in a compliance, global compliance team. So com global compliance team, it's its own product team, but it also serves the other branches of the company. It would serve the consumer team. It would serve the merchant team. It would, you know, serve other, other verticals. So it's like a, your own product development team, plus you're also a consultant. So that communication and facilitation scale is very necessary in such an environment. Um, yeah, I, I felt like I just did a lot of that in PayPal. Um, and the thing about trust is pretty interesting because I feel like the minute I went into PayPal, um, there is an immediate feeling of you are assured that everyone else is doing the best job. There's no blame game going on. Uh, but what I have felt in my two and a half years there is that, you know, if, if we are in a team, if we are in a big project, everybody just assumed that, okay, you know your stuff. Um, and and I, I don't know, it's just like, is it because of the culture that is built? Um, did they do it via the interviews? Uh, how are they managing to to kind of get all of these people in that have the same mindset? That is pretty interesting to me. Like the trust seems to be built in, interestingly. You know, that, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all I have for this topic for now. Mm. Well, actually, that's, that's quite interesting. I think the trust being baked in as part of culture, I, I know you alluded towards that. It's, it's a bit of a mysterious concept. Like everybody who joins in just blends in automatically there. Any things that you might have seen in your company that might push towards why people implicitly they have that trust, even without knowing like this person. Let's say you know hire you hire a new person. Uh he's he hasn't been there for like two, three weeks. Uh like how how would you have that trust in them? Or is it like more giving them that uh what's that benefit of the doubt first before before judging? I think for new people Mm, of course, I, I can't speak on the experience of other people who are in PayPal, but for me, I felt like anyone who's new, they would just kind of sit back and sit. They're probably like sitting back for a month because they want to observe what's happening in this kind of conversations. And then there's a buddy that's always paired with them, obviously. It, like in most companies, there's buddies that's paired with a new person. And then the buddy would explain, oh, this is culturally, it's like this. Uh, you may want to say this, you may not want to say those kind of things. Um, and then, I, I don't know, I, I find it very hard to explain because, like I said, in my experience, people are just really, really nice. 
you ninety nine percent of the time you don't you don't hear the screaming or you are not like oh you're to blame and things like that. Yeah. I, I is that the one percent of the time? The one percent. Yes, it's one, a story. But but that one percent, I could explain it as well in retrospect. So, mm. yeah, if you ask me, I might tell you later on. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> maybe later on. Uh, maybe. But jumping in. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I'm done. Yeah. Okay, so maybe to touch on also the one word that I think both Stephanie as well as sure you guys mentioned too, which is alignment. Uh, so I know there's some uh, word, I think things that Sher mentioned, things about uh, transparency, communication. Uh, how do you guys go around building alignments between within your team as well as uh, inter-teams? Yeah, I guess for myself, it's really quite basic things like one-to-ones, right? Like I have bi-weekly one-to-ones with my engineering manager, the EM. I also try to have one-to-ones with at least every one of my, like the engineers in my team. So I work in a squadified model as well. Um, so, so I try to get at least a coffee chat with them, every single member, at least once a quarter. And then, you know, you do all these like lunches together, you, you go for boba runs together, which we did even back at Vicky, right? I mean, that was a thing too. And I felt like just having this one-to-one, like personal, uh, in-person sort of interaction helps with just understanding person, giving alignment. And also we have this thing called like the core weekly team meeting that I set up where we share also with the team um, data, like what's our numbers showing, what's our midterm, long-term priority, so that at least the engineers, designers, they also know what's, uh, what a company is thinking about uh, on a more strategic layer, what the leadership team has been discussing, things like that. So that gives a lot more transparency and communication to Sher's point to the team so that they're not just like only coding or only doing like PRs and, and stuff like that. They also get to have a taste of context, a taste of why we're doing certain things and what outcomes you're trying to reach. Yeah, so that's just a taste of like, I guess what what I would do uh, in my role as a PM. I 100% agree with that. The uh, And since uh, Stephanie mentioned about uh, Vicky, right? So I guess that's one context I didn't mention during the introduction just now, which is that uh, I've also specifically invited my guest today uh, because of uh, our connections from a couple of companies ago on, well, I would say this is around three to five, no, not three to five, probably around three years ago. Mm. Uh, the Most of us were in this neat little company called Rakuten Viki. Uh, and we worked together for, I guess, at least two to three years. Uh, and I think on the point on what Stephanie mentioned on the part where you say you set up the team meeting to discuss midterm, long-term priorities and strategy, uh, I mean, I'll be one to say outright that I appreciate that a lot, to be honest. Even as a junior employee before when, you know, you have product managers or either product manager or your engineering manager setting out that strategy to let the team know what we are doing, right? It brings in some level of meaning uh, that, you know, we are building something that is heading somewhere. We're not just going in rounds, doing, let's say, like UI redesigns, you know, year after year. Yeah. Just, just wanted to add that because I, I thought that was something that I appreciated a lot as a uh, engineer. Yeah. 
sure. How about you? Uh, what do you think in terms of alignment? I think from a designer perspective, I I think it's quite interesting because you also mentioned a lot of alignment, and I think that's kind of rare from the perspective of a designer. Hmm. Interesting that you mentioned that it's rare because I feel like a designer is essentially a facilitator. Um, so I can explain maybe... a bit about that oh, okay, if sure, you want. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> like, because the thing is this, and feel free, any of you, like, if you want to disagree with me, which is that the, like, in terms of facilitating or in terms of communication between teams, inter team and intra, like, within the team itself, right? Usually, right, I would say it's either one of the two, which is a product manager or the engineering manager that does that communication. Uh, designers, I think the most I've worked with, and I'm, I'm not trying to throw any shit at them, but I'm just saying that usually the uh, designers work either directly with the engineers or directly with a product manager. Like, you know, let's say setting up the PRD and then you have PRD, then the design that follows that. Uh, and being able to educate the team on how to build certain things. Uh, but in terms of cross-team communication uh, and setting like objectives, strategies, things like that, I feel like that's uh, probably more rare for a designer to do it. I'm not saying it's wrong, uh, just to be clear. I think it's good to have. It's an additional benefit. Sure, sure. Um, I think in, you, are in, you were in the wrong team, maybe. <laughs> 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 So I think maybe Steph has experienced this, but we had a pretty small design team in Vicky. It was like, what, four to six people. And the designers, when back when I was in Vicky, the designers would run a lot of workshops where we would include both PMs, QA, QA data, and developers. So a lot of times, obviously I can only speak to the workshops that, that I ran, but a lot of times it's about things like um, it's maybe it's a kickoff meeting and we are working on this particular um, feature and then we want everyone's perspective of what could go wrong <laughs> before we even start designing. Or I've ran things like, um, what was that? It was like, um, it was like a, a retrospect on a retrospective, retrospective on what all the teams think are the problems in our delivery system. Uh, so we would like hash it out in the workshop and then we would go back and see if we can change anything on our side. So those are some of the workshops that I've run. Um, in PayPal, mm, I've ran some of that as well. I've ran like a little bit of maybe like product or ideation workshops. And then, so so that's between like, I guess the trifecta. Um, but within design and content, um, so content is a very big part of PayPal. So the design and content partnership is really, really close. <clears throat> it's even closer than design and PM or design and engineering. So what I would usually do is I would do like kickoff meetings with my content partner first. Then we would do another round of like, I don't know, kickoff meetings with our PMs and developers. Uh, some, that, that's on, on the occasion where there is no project manager. So we have very large projects where we have project managers. But if we are in a project that has no project manager, I am in fact the project manager. So I would gather all everybody's like kind of timelines and I would be like, okay, design and content, this is our timeline. Product team, do what you want. And then the development team would then base their projections on our timeline. And then we would send all of this to say the leadership or something like that. Yeah. 
So I guess it works a bit differently in, in different company types. I wonder if it's also like partially due to how like the design culture is created and maintained. Like I, I can definitely see the difference between the way design um, noted all the roadmaps, workshop, sorry, the workshopping and, and presentation and all that that Sharon mentioned. So like other companies that I've worked at, um, there is that difference I do see that maybe some other companies uh, that I've worked at don't really have that level of like focus or putting that sort of responsibility or ownership, I don't know what the right word is, on the design team to also be the one facilitating it. Yeah, so I wonder if it's also something in relation to how maybe the, the design head or whoever is leading design chapter to think more intentionally and purposefully into the role that design will play beyond just like UX, UI design. I know that would just well show up, right, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm calm now. I've been <laughs> working on this for like eight or 10 years. I'm just like zen. <laughs> this brings this like brings a pretty interesting, I guess, question to mind. So we've heard so far that um, the product team would sometimes facilitate this kind of alignment. The designers will facilitate this kind of alignment. Uh, developers, have you facilitated this kind of alignment? <laughs> or, Actually, or, yes. Or, I guess the conversation, oh yeah, if, if you have like an engineering um, project manager, I guess, like in PayPal, we have that. And then the project manager would come to us um, as well in the beginning to have that conversation. So from my experience, uh, and I'd like to say since we were talking about Rocket and Vicky before, right? In Rocket and Vicky, I would like to use the word, I was spoiled as an engineer where I know the product managers in Vicky were the project managers as well. And I thought, oh, this seems like the, the I guess, the standard in the industry. I've seen similar it's perfect. Uh, things. Yeah, it's perfect because as an engineer, I just do engineering stuff. Uh, and then I move on to other companies. I became an EM or I became a tech lead in certain teams. And I'm faced with the fact that, hey, you need to be a project manager. Like, this is what I'm doing. And at first, I couldn't stomach that for a while. Uh, but I mean, over time, I realized, yeah, you have to. Uh, the main issue why, you know, at the company where I was at was because there wasn't enough uh, product managers. And I think the main thing seems to be this. Lah. For project manager or project management, it seems to be more towards whoever in the team, uh, this entire product development team, right, has the time to do it, right? Has the bandwidth to do it, should go for it. But... When we talk about bandwidth, right, then we also go along on things like, like for example, for product managers, do you want to, at the point of time where there's not enough of them, do you want to take more time and bandwidth from them to do project management where they could do better on the end of doing like what they're supposed to do as product managers? And I think that same thing goes, in my opinion, in my opinion, go for design as well because I'll be very upfront. Also, up until today, I actually haven't heard of a designer being a project manager, although I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of response. Uh, the possibility. I it's think it's good official. that it's not, it's not official. official. Hmm. It's oh, not official. Like it's not on my head saying that I am a project manager, but uh, I'm just looking at my projects and I'm mm. like, okay, if I don't do this, nothing is gonna move. Mm. That's why I'm doing yeah. it. So when I left the the last week, like the last two weeks of um of my I guess engagement with PayPal. 
um, I was having lunch with a PM, uh, mm. a PM lead that I was working with on a major project. So before I left, I was still working on a project that has yet mm. to be released um, for a really large continent. Um, so he, he, he started to complain to me and was like, oh, how come your content designer doesn't talk with a PM and doesn't talk with mm. the engineering? And I was like, well, what do you think? <laughs> I've been doing this. Like, so you, you kind of need some sort of project management, even when it's between design and content and research. Someone needs to be like, what is a timeline? Give me your timeline so that I can report all of our timelines to the larger audience. Yeah. yeah Very much it. agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> you always need that coordinator, la, that one person. And I, I find it quite interesting now that we are saying, as we are saying this, right, as an engineer, as a designer, as a product manager, uh, as long as I think the person, I, I guess I'll, I'll throw this out there, la, uh, in that as long as the person possesses that like certain basics or standards of uh, leadership capabilities and being able to drive the entire team to, or between teams la, to work on like certain projects together, then anyone can step in. I think anyone can step in to be a project manager, assuming that position isn't filled up. Yeah. But still, I'll say it's it's quite unique. Like I, in the last ten years of my career, I haven't heard about a designer being a project manager before. But again, like I mean, hats off to you, right? Mad respect to you. That yeah, I think it's great that you made it work. Uh, and of course, I think as you said, when you were departing or when you were looking at handing over, uh, people can see the cracks showing up, mm-hmm. Because probably it's not the fault of a designer. It's also not the fault of a project manager. But I think the point is probably no one is taking that role now. Uh, was that the problem? Like no one really taking over that project management? I think people didn't realize that that's considered project management. Ah. They're like, oh, it's only timelines. Um, but so if my content designer, let's say we are starting a new project, right? And we need, obviously the larger team needs an estimate. The development team definitely needs an estimate before we can, before they can give their own estimate. Um, I would start to ask my content designer, okay, so how long do you think you will need to write this? And if that person uh, can't answer me on time, I will say, okay, I'm predicting that you need three weeks for this. I'm going to put this in my day, in, in the deadline. So I would do it for this person. And this person would just be like, okay, sure. So that, that actually happened a lot in PayPal, especially when your projects get larger and larger. Yeah. So I guess I will answer to this question what do you think is key to a good product development team is project manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite interesting. We're moving towards that. La. As we said, trust and alignment. But it seems like in the end, the person that executes on that, that passing the trust around alignment, right? Or like passing information around seems to be that project manager. La. Yeah, I mean, in PayPal, I worked with pretty good project manage- managers who... They, they, I mean, it's so easy for them to kind of rally up everybody and be like, guys, mm. just let me know what your timeline is. And everyone meets, mm. like, like everyone would do what she says. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. I think you need this person to kind of push things forward, especially if your project is getting really big and, like, kind of unwieldy. Yeah. Uh, we have a TPM as well at Endowers. And usually she's engaged when we have huge cross-domain big mm. projects. And, yeah, I don't think I would have survived without uh, involvement as well. Yeah. I think same perspective for my end. I think the 
having a TPM helps a lot in that cross-team alignment. I think I, I, I like, uh, probably I can speak for, I think for product managers and even designers as well. I think the, given, let's say, you know, sometimes we really have limited bandwidth. I think it's actually better to have a dedicated person do project management then we operate on like you know as an em now i do more on my people management my engineering my tech like stuff stuff that i need to do on my tech uh team like engineering team then you guys probably have your uh, product objectives design objectives that you have to get towards yeah but sometimes there yeah, is no choice we also have to step up if it, that position isn't really there yeah i mean i think we are all playing roles that are beyond our yes. Beyond what we are paid for, let's just say. Oh, that, that's a very vastly mm. uh, interesting topic that... <laughs> but I, I agree on the sense that at least, like, you know, wearing multiple hats. Uh, and I, I find it quite interesting that for product managers, right, implicitly, I think you are assumed that you should be able to do that. Uh, as more... I think as a role that's usually more outspoken. Uh, but I think for designers and engineers, usually your expectation isn't there. Until you go, maybe you are like an engineering manager where you're expected to again be more outspoken, driving the team, right? In certain things, right? Then, yeah, usually you're expected to also stand in for that once in a while. And I think the same I heard maybe also from design too. Yeah. Hello. Maybe designers are expected to kind of do, do this kind of project management because like I had managers who were like, oh, can you give me the timeline on this? Because if my manager needs a timeline, that means their leader needs the timeline from them. Mm. So it kind of all flows down and I, I personally need to know the timeline then. Right? Mm. Yeah. But is your manager the one doing the coordination? Like I'm assuming they need a timeline because someone is coordinating something. Lah. Like it's not just to say, you know, when we'll finish at a certain point of time, right? But to coordinate between teams. I think, oh, I feel like this is another conversation. I don't know if we are getting too far from this, but in mm, when my um, managers were asking me for timeline, usually he doesn't. When he's asking me for timeline, it's because there's a PM that's pressuring him to give him timelines, pressuring him for the timeline, timelines. Mm. And I will be like, hmm, why is he asking you? You should be asking me. That's another conversation. I think it does not belong okay, yeah. to this. The conversation that we are having. Yeah, but they are obviously pressured in some way. Uh, maybe mm. maybe that project is like part of a major project that we are going to release. Then they definitely need to know the details. Otherwise, it's pretty mm. much hands-off. Mm. Okay, I agree. It's it's probably a different topic. Like, more in terms... <laughs> I'm going to say it's maybe more on the side of... How should I put it? Company hierarchy? Uh, or like you know my, my take on this is more like probably the person asking a question doesn't know who he needs to direct the question to so it makes sense to just go from the top and then let the person on the top like filter out and figure out like who you should direct the question towards la. okay maybe moving to a slightly related but different topic from this right I think Stephanie uh, maybe around uh, 15 minutes ago you mentioned about scorification actually I kind of want to explore that in terms of a product development team so Product development team, like in, in a sense, that it's quite abstract. Right? It's just saying, you know, different people of different functions working together. Not just tech, product, and uh, design, right? But actually, we also should include things like, yeah, your data team as well. Uh, but since you mentioned about scorification, I kind of want to hear from uh, your perspective, like what that means to your company and how do you actually execute on that and how it helps. 
Yeah, sure. So for us, we how we divide the squads is really based on like user flow. So like for myself, I look after the onboarding process. So basically from the time the user signs up and has you know their investment account and basically created and ready to start investing. So that entire flow is the as a part of the user journey that I look after, which my team looks after. And then so my team would as a pretty standard squad, we, we do have like a designer. Uh, front-end engineers, both for web and mobile, as well as back-end engineers. Uh, but of course, like the core platform piece of it is on its own. So there's a platform team, a separate team from us. So that's sort of the horizontal layer. I think you might be familiar with that sort of concept. Um, I, I think it worked really well because then once you have a squad, you can have like uh, determine your own set of OKRs that the squad can operate on. And we implemented this last year and so so before last year we didn't operate on a squad it was just like i guess um we just had a big ginormous team that just says customer engagement and it's just like a very big team and whatever comes in you know we have to figure out how to best prioritize it but because now the team is all different um we have our own okrs and it did think it's been very successful in a sense where engineers themselves they are very they're more motivated because they have a higher sense of ownership once you have like, uh, you know, uh, a determined set of like OKRs, um, and also like each person, each individual gets really familiar with your own domain area, so that like, you become like the subject matter expert, right? And you really, really understand all the ins and outs of the system. I think that really helps the team to just progress a lot faster. Um, whenever we need to now address new features or, or like iterations or adjustments, I think it makes the team move a lot quicker. I think that helps a lot. So yeah, is there anything else that you want me to expand on? I think that that's what I, I feel. I, I love the squad model actually. Okay, I have one question and you probably heard me ask this five years ago, I think pre-pandemic, because uh, we, we use this codified model somewhat in Vicky before. I guess the Sumpi squad was... Uh, so Sumpi squad, basically, for audience who are listening to this, uh, whether off, online or offline, right? Um, it, Sumpi itself is a uh, Korean news publication system. And then we sort of had uh, that same... Um, what do you call it? The uh, vertical that, you know, Stephanie mentioned earlier on, right? You know, you had uh, that product manager working there together with the back-end, front-end, uh, DevOps engineer, sort of like within the same... Uh, squad la, except that the back end and DevOps engineer was kind of just one single guy. Um, wait, what was my question? <laughs> kind of, I blabbered into that. I kind of forgot about my own question. Uh, crap. The the model, the squad model, is Vicky. No, no, that, no, that was not my question. Shit, shit, shit. I I, <laughs> I went too deep into that, and I kind of forgot about ago. my own question. Sorry. You said something about five years ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I said I recalled five years ago. Then I started thinking about the Sophie model and then I, I completely forgot about what I was going to ask. Is your like question about whether... On... Oh, sorry. Is your question about whether okay. or not it worked in Vicky? Or how, like the Vicky. concerns or challenges, the concerns or challenges with this kind of model? Is that your question? Uh, it's okay, okay. It's a question here. I, I can now. I'm trying to recall backwards because I was concentrating too much on <laughs> explaining Sumpi. Uh, I think yeah, it's a question that asks. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. I just remember your question. Thanks, sure for that save. Um, so I'm curious on the side of in currently like for Stephanie in your uh current squad, right? 
I mean, you mentioned it's a vertical. Then, of course, there's also the horizontal, uh, which is like the, let's say, the entire team, uh, let's say for backend team, front-end team, you know, things like that. But the one, one thing I've seen about the squad model is that the usually you have limited man, uh, manpower there, like, in the sense that, let's say, you only have one front-end engineer or one XX engineer from XX domain. Uh, how do you deal with timelines, you know, if let's say like someone has to go on urgent leave or has to go on like, you know, some folks, let's say go on annual leave and things like that. Uh, wouldn't that be also hard to coordinate because you can't have too many people in the squad as well? Oh, we have two per function. <laughs> that's a really, <laughs> oh, that's a really easy answer. To... But then wouldn't that make that squad too big or too costly as well? like too many people working on one single function. Like in regular operating circumstances, I feel like that might be a bit too big. I think because like our, the domain that we cover is quite big, sorry. It's not just onboarding. We also look like account management, user management. So it's quite a big piece mm. that our team needs to look after. So I would say for us, minimally, we have to at least have two. I mean, we only have two. Per, like So web, mm. we have two. Mobile, we have one senior, one junior. You know, mm. back end we have one who is also dubbing as an EM. You know, so so there are still like multiple hats being worn and all. Um, but this is the team that I work with. I think so far it's been okay. There's still too many things that we're trying to do. I don't think there's lack of like things or like difficulties with having such a big team. And I think that's where like going back to the first point that we talked about, having those moments and and protected time to just run. I don't know weekly team meetings priority planning session stuff like that i think that helps so that every team is also on the same page wait just to clarify one point when just now we mentioned about uh, i think one of the engineers acting as the ems as well uh this is not the em of the domain team right or is there like separate ems for domain teams as well as like the squad uh team itself so um, I use the word domain and, and squad interchangeably just because when I say domain, it's like the user journey that we're referring to. So it's an EM for that squad. Ah, I see. Sorry, okay, maybe I should also clarify myself. I think for uh, domain, I was referring more towards like backend, frontend, uh, or like, uh, let's say, technical related domains like in your company. Would those levels, right? Uh, also have their own engineering managers? Or is it just yeah. the entire company working on a squadified model? Uh, yeah, the whole company is working on this squad model. Yeah, mm. and for the, what you're referring to the domain, like maybe the chapters themselves, they have mm. senior guys in that chapter. I don't know if they're called like chapter leads or, or you know, yeah, chapter leads are, yeah. that. Yeah, but um, for what it's worth in terms of when we, at least from the PM perspective, when you go into planning, prioritizing resources and all that, usually we, we talk about our EMs who are in charge of um, each squad. Yeah. Got it. Thanks for the clarification. By the way, I just realized we have another guest in our <laughs> stream over here. Show, would you like to introduce us? Oh, hi, this is Poppy. So she's here because she's afraid of a lion dance. Oh, she's been barking a lot, so you know she needs to be here. So for Just folks who are listening, for, for folks who are listening to this in the future, so uh, as I mentioned at the start, like this is seventeen February, so uh, in the place that uh, we're mostly all of us are residing in Singapore, like yeah, the 
Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year holiday just left. So yeah, you know, there, yeah, there's things like lion dance around. I haven't heard anything in my neighborhood so far. There's uh, a lot around my neighborhood, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> okay, so with that, I think we, we have had quite a healthy discussion on this first question. And it seems like while we talked about, we started off with things like trust, we went into alignment, we even talked about things like the, the project manager and how that person, right, he or she, right, is really important in driving the alignment across and even explore things like squadification. Now I'd like to jump on my final question, you know, for our session today. And the one thing I want to ask is, what do you think should be avoided then for a productive element team? Yeah. So in, in this thing that I'm showing over here, of course, the yeah, it's taken from this same page where it's showing that of course now there's three different areas and possibly even more domains. Uh they are not uh, overlapping with each other. There's usually like gaps in knowledge and communication, things like that. But beyond stuff that we have mentioned like alignment and communication like what do you what do you guys think might be uh things that we want to avoid in trying to have a successful productive element team and maybe i can start off first uh since i wrote down a few points for myself and i feel like some of this are actually somewhat related to what stephanie mentioned early on uh, i think for myself as a both coming from uh, previously a junior en engineer's perspective as well as now as a uh, engineering manager right I think the one thing that I I can see very visibly when it's missing, right, that prevents a development team, right, to this entire productive development team to work out well is when there's no clear goals being set. Uh, I'm not just referring to OKRs, although it does refer to that. I'm talking about things like the lack of that strategy for the entire team. And it this is important, right, for two different things. Uh, one thing definitely I think the more obvious thing is for the engineer like people who maybe they're invested in the product they want to build they, maybe they've stayed with the company for a number of years and if they see that the product itself doesn't uh, grow as much right like it doesn't build in that motivation that they are doing something meaningful yeah then the other problem being that the I think the more the actual one uh, that we might see that impacts most people in real life is the team themselves or the squad they might end up not having much, uh, you know, those, uh, let's say, like, huge milestones, projects that they're working on that substantiate, you know, why they are there. And this might actually also mean, like, let's say, for the company, they might end up uh, dedicating less resources for the team. This might actually, like, mean bad news for the team overall. Uh, I don't go into the deep details on, like, what, like, you know, whether layoffs or whatever. Lah. But essentially, I'm saying more in terms of that if the team doesn't really have that vision, at least... Okay, not even saying team vision, like at least some sort of smaller mission, right? I think it becomes a problem uh, for them. La. Yeah, that's my take. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, OKRs is definitely important. I mean, like, as I was saying, like, we implemented OKRs last year. I feel one interesting behavior that I noticed since we did OKR is that I wasn't expecting this, but Somehow the engineers on my team, they became so invested in the OKRs. We have a dashboard built to oh. track like how, how far are we from reaching our desired like number and all that. And it's a weekly, monthly sort of uh, view. And, and we also have Slack alerts. So we will always send out whenever there are new uh, information, new data. And the engineers themselves will take the initiative. Hey, we hit this number today. Why? What did we do? Or like, must be you know good sign or whatever it is. Like they themselves would tag us. Like I didn't have time to look at 
the numbers yet they themselves were the ones to first comment on it and like oh okay this uh you know like like just chatting about the numbers so i felt like they're very excited about it and the fact that they can see whatever features whatever work that they're doing would have a pretty good material impact on the numbers helps to just feed into that like virtuous positive cycle of just getting them even more excited to work on the next thing so it helps do my job somewhat like i don't need to do much convincing they are already sort of excited because they do see the impact on the numbers so i always say like don't underestimate the power of OKRs as long as they're like really properly and meaningfully defined i mean of course that in itself is a separate topic yeah but i just wanted to really emphasize and add more to what you shared earlier mm, i i would attest to that same opinion uh, that the excitement is justified. Uh, or let's say justified. Uh, uh, I think whether you are an engineer or designer or uh, even let's say like a junior product manager, like, you know, just joining onto the team, right? Uh, I, I can sense that level of excitement, especially if you, let's say, you have been hitting uh, your OKRs that you have set for yourself, the goals that you have set over there. Um, because, yeah, it does build into that motivation that the team is doing something meaningful. Uh. At the very least, that's my own opinion. Yeah. But on that, uh, maybe I want to just dive in a little bit deeper. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, your company set up OKRs or set up this entire process of tracking, viewing, and like sort of have that open OKRs with your team to be able to view it together. How did this entire process went about like getting it started? Um, because we were trying to, to set up the whole squad uh, model. So then it's quite and and you know like how amplitude has this playbook on okr north star it was the same exercise that we did actually at Vicky, trying to define our own set of okr so um bringing that also into endowers and ensuring that every team has a meaningful set of okrs and then what happened from that is that uh i mean we did spend like quite a few months just aligning and arguing what is the right set of okrs but once that's done then Actually, we got the help from the data team to just build all the dashboards for us to monitor and getting the all the squads also aligned that this is the objectives and, and this is the key results that we are going to aim towards too. Um, yeah, I think that whole process just helped to, I mean, we also needed to get alignment from the leadership team so that we get all these metrics acknowledged and recognized by the leadership team so that there's buy-in. Um, and that way, it made it feel like it's in sort of um, official, like company-wide, like known thing that this is what the product team will be focusing on alongside the engineers. So it puts the product engineering team in one sort of body, um, working towards the same goals and helps like reduce the tension and, and all that that maybe we might have been familiar with otherwise, you know. Yeah, so I think that helped us a lot. Did, it, did I answer just, your question? Yeah. Yes, it did. But I want to just poke a little bit more, uh, and maybe not asking from just an engineer's uh, perspective, but when this OKRs was uh, introduced, right, within your squad, um, I'd love to understand, was there any pushback uh, from team members? Usually something new that usually will be some pushback. Mm, pushback? Uh. Pushback? I think from, from the general team, it's just really... No, I mean, we are all on board with the concept of OKRs, and it's not, not something new. The challenge is, are we doing it the right way? Are we monitoring the right metrics? Do we even have the right tracking implemented for us to know that, right? 
Uh, so I think that's the most challenging bit, which is why it took quite a few months to even reach to a consensus at the end that you know my my chief product officer would be happy with, and also it's something that the whole company can also easily understand um, and align with. So I think it's just more like communication and trying to figure out what exactly is the right OKR before we commit to them. Yeah, the challenge is after the OKRs have been somewhat met, now the issue is, do we want to still keep doing the same OKRs or like have a new completely mm. set of OKRs now? I think that's a different, like it's a new problem that we are in currently. Mm. But it's a good problem to have, uh, especially when you meet the OKRs and now thinking about having, whether you have to set new ones. Yeah. Yeah. How about any other areas that you all think that uh things that a product good product development team should avoid? Uh, maybe I'll throw in another word over here because I think in our prior conversations when we I think when we met up uh, a few weeks before, right? Uh, and I wanted to sort of get some ideas for this uh, podcast. So I, I think one word that I heard before was silos. Uh, and curious about like what you guys think about like in terms of silos, especially for squad. I guess a squad is also somewhat operating a bit like a silo if not done properly like what do you guys think about like as a product development team uh, should we avoid being a silo would that be a problem um anyone yeah go ahead go ahead go ahead yeah, I mean, I think squads can also definitely have silos. The tricky part is that every team has their own set of OKRs, right? And we have our own set of priorities. So there are cases where, oh, the team is doing some stuff and then realize that one of the features or one of the projects that we're working on does affect another team's numbers or another team's services as well. Then it's like we need some help to, to resolve the issue. And if that requires like intervention or just like more overhead coordination and communication with the other team that it sort of uh, in a way messes the planning that each team has right because now we need to figure out and resolve that 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 overlapping uh challenge you know so i think there's some i mean it's also the part is that how do we preempt this how do we as much as possible at a very early stage of the planning process identify this so that other teams are also aware um, but this is the ideal case where right? I don't think it's going to be like that for every single project. Sometimes you only will uncover this um, this issue when you actually dig deeper into the code and all that and realize that, oh, actually this requires something else from other teams. How do we then want to mitigate this? I think maybe to also go a little bit... Uh putting my own opinion on this and I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, I'm guessing part of what you're referring to, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie, is the in technical implementation or how we want to build this to be sort of like, like sort of far-reaching in the future, like thinking about of future-proofing, uh, building some features to be future-proofing. And uh, my take here is probably for a squad-based model, like for Spotify squadification model, probably the chapter lead, the, that means the engineering or technical lead, uh, for that front-end chapter or for that uh, a single code base, for example, probably that guy has to be also trying to, helping to coordinate across multiple squads 
to make sure that the at least anything that squad A is building isn't blocking squad B and squad C, you know, so on and so forth. Lah. Yeah. That's my take, at least from uh one of the companies I've worked out uh, worked at a few years ago who was also using a squad model and how we try to avoid things. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we don't have that practice. Usually it's just the EMs themselves mm. trying to also talk through it. Um yeah, I think like the power, I mean not power, I mean the responsibility responsibility and accountability often fall on the respective squads. EM when it comes to like technical discussion and trying to figure out solutions to address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that's where so, like company to company it may look different in how we operate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm gonna poke sure. Should anything add on to that? For silos, like it doesn't need to be silo as a squad. Lah. Like I think even let's say like for engineers or designers who may end up working too much in a silo. Um oh I have a lot to add to this. <laughs> I think um for a company at PayPal where you probably have like ten or twenty thousand people working, that's actually a killer to me. Um so in my experience at least with the teams and the verticals that I've worked with, um, the designers are not in silo because what we do is like, for instance, I'm in compliance, right? I know that what I, whatever we release in compliance will probably affect like the merchant team invoicing or the consumer side. So, so the designers in compliance team are basically, I'm the only designer in the compliance team. So I would reach out to other designers in the verticals to be like, Hey, we are releasing this. This is this is my Figma file. These are our flows. Um, how do you think it's going to affect your vertical, or or do you think do you have anything else of concern that you can point out to me? So that's what I do. And then I've seen that the the engineers would would also coordinate between themselves with other teams. And what I've not seen is that, or, or rather, what I've seen is that the product managers are actually the ones in silos. So because there are so many verticals, there are so many teams. Um, for instance, the compliance side, or rather the peer-to-peer, P2P side, um, P2P means like person-to-person transfer of money, I think. Um, the P2P side doesn't converse with, let's say, the donation side. So then the P2P side would say, oh, we want to do this. And then the designers would come up with something. And then when we present it to the larger audience, which includes the donation side or, or you know other verticals, they'd be like, no, you cannot do this. So to me, all of this can be solved if the product team are not in silos. So I had a particular project where me and a content designer, we had to consistently tell the PM running that project that can you please speak to your fellow product peers? Because if not, it's resulting in a lot of uh, uh, work on the designer side because you keep changing like they keep changing um ideas like it was on a daily basis where the ideas keep changing kept changing yeah so yeah that this, is a killer i think this also sounds similar to a bit of what stephanie mentioned earlier on mm-hmm. in terms of preparation right uh i think definitely alignment uh, uh is also maybe a different phase of preparation where if there is alignment even within, let's say, product managers, uh, like working at a uh, yes, lower level, like you have uh, what's that align all your views and then moving it to a next level, next level, then essentially the 
work should be able to be coordinated better that way as well, rather than having a lot of this friction between squads and teams. Yeah. I think it's on the individual, like either designer or product manager or engineer running that particular project to mm. be doing yeah. One point I'd like to also bring up, maybe this is more of a pet peeve for me, although it's not my pet peeve, it's a pet peeve of product managers who have worked with me. Uh, like one point that uh, we should avoid for a product development team to operate well, like to this question, uh, is being, I guess, upfront about technical depth, or rather, maybe upfront is not the right word, but uh, I guess... <laughs> Transparent and knowledgeable. Like transparent, again, I think that's the same thing as being upfront, but knowledgeable, I guess that's the part that uh, both the engineers as well as like product managers, designers like have struggle with like, in the sense that like, let's say, you know, I have a product. I have, I know there's technical debt, but I don't know how much time I need to spend on like technical debt to make things better. And then I guess it, at some levels, it does frustrate the product manager as well because, okay, product manager, if the, let's say a product manager is really good, you probably have a list of things that uh projects that you want to work on that you you already ready to stack rank on uh, in terms of like getting a story points in terms of like the uh business objectives coming out from it but usually what works out really well for a squad is if you stack rank your product objectives against the engineering objectives as well which is i mean of course there, there will be some level of benefit coming out from some of these engineering objectives like i mean be it in terms of better ux or maybe the more obvious one is let's say cost savings if let's say you know cost savings gives you one million dollars per year in terms of cost savings then that's easy to compare against let's say other product objectives uh, but i think what i've seen so far is probably that frustration because it's sometimes it's also very hard to have that a list of all of those engineering uh, tech debt objectives that the team wants to work on. Uh. Uh, and that's something I've probably seen from a number of different companies. As a leader now, I'm trying to prevent that. Uh, hopefully that will work out well uh, towards the teams I work with in the future. Any take on that? Like, Have you all seen like similar frustrations or experienced it yourself? How, how, how are you thinking of preventing that? Ah, it's not exactly preventing. Okay, okay. let me put it like this. Lah. I think it's definitely, it won't be that ideal case where you have 100% knowledge of all uh, things that engineers want to work on. Uh, but I think for myself, at the very least, what I would like to do as a leader is be accountable to my product and design counterparts on what engineering wants to do. Like I can't just say, hey, uh, I'm going to spend this quarter doing engineering objectives, but I can't justify like what's the benefits of doing that. Uh, and that again, as a leader now, right? I mean, because I'm also trying to think of a product sense. It also frustrates me because I can't compare against like, you know, the engineering projects I want to do against the product uh, initiatives. And if the product initiatives, let's say it, okay, I mean, to be very honest, like, I'm, I'm somewhat of a business driven person. Like if the product objectives drives 100, uh, 100 times the benefit than the engineering objectives. I'll say it's a no-brainer. Let's just go for the product one first because that would bring in more benefits to the company. Maybe you would think about things like expansion earlier. You'll get more people to work with like, like solving this tech debt anyway. So I'm sorry if I went one whole round, but essentially the main thing I'm looking at is being able to at least do the same thing as product managers, craft out that list of items that as a team, engineering team, what we should work on and then 
share that with your product counterpart and figure out stack rank on both sides, right? See which one are the ones you want to work with first. It can product can go ahead first, you know, if you have something that's really valuable. But if let's say product doesn't have that yet, then let's say one of the engineering objectives has a much larger benefit, bigger footprint for the team, right? Then we should go for that. But I think the idea is that knowledge needs to come out first. Then engineer need to be able to investigate that and come up with a plan. That, that's my take. I'm not sure if that's convincing. Yeah, I mean, usually my my own style is that I trust, you know, my my EM to give me a good sense and reasonable sense of what amount of technical debt we are facing and like the repercussions if we don't address them, the trade-offs that we will need to make if we do want to address them. You know how would that affect our roadmap? Ideally, it's before the roadmap planning that we do like on a quarterly basis, right? So before the next quarter, we should already start having this discussion earlier. If there are certain things that across the board, maybe because the CTO himself wants to say that okay, we really want to do this migration work, we want to do this cost cutting, cost saving initiative, all teams will need to take part in it. Sure, right? That's our pretty like that's our P zero item. Like all teams need to address it. That's fine because there's a very clear impact but on a team to team level then i would actually trust and put the owners on the em to have that list ready to discuss during before the before the next quarter so that we can actually integrate them if needed into the roadmap plan and then obviously with the use case the business case that you mentioned right, we need to build a solid case why we should address it now versus later or if we can't think of why we need to address now is there a certain like threshold that okay once it passes this threshold we need to seriously think about addressing this yeah 100% agree with that okay usually I say 100% agree because there's nothing else to add to that but yes I think that that's uh what as an EM myself now I think that's what I want to aim for as well uh just to pull out some words you mentioned for like things like roadmap planning right yes I think the EM definitely needs to be aware of uh, the when this like rituals happen and make sure that this work is done, investigative work is done before that, so that this comparison can be better done in that planning, right? At least internally, your first level of planning between your you and your product manager first before the next few levels, whether it's with like higher leadership or maybe whether within like some sort of uh, uh internal tech org in your in your company, yeah. But I think that that's really crucial to be again that word prepared lah to be prepared for that. Okay, so I think we have covered quite a number of answers for this uh, topic itself. Uh, I think, yeah, the topics itself today, I think I've received quite a lot of insights from you guys. Uh, but before ending off today, uh, I do have a few questions from our audience. Um, and I think this is actually more towards squadification. So I'm going to bring it up and uh, we definitely need the help. I mean, of course, from all of us, not just from Stephanie. Uh, was mentioning regarding squadification earlier on. So this person actually was a guest for my last few episodes. Uh, so hi, Harizwan again. Uh, okay, let me open up the question. So this is a question from Harizwan. He's watching from YouTube. Uh, so his question, Harizwan here, uh, is saying, has there been situations where resources in the squad were moved to other squads to prioritize other projects? And how do you deal with the sudden loss of people on said project? Oh, I have an answer for this as well, but I'll let Stephanie answer this first. Yeah, of course there have been situations. Um, yeah, and, and 
there was a lot of, uh, I mean, it first started with conversations with myself um, and my boss and I mean, the CPO himself and also the other team that needs a resource. And we would try to first understand like the reason why and what ROI the project that that other project is, um, is hoping to achieve, right? And um, so usually it, it, I would say TLDR is that we just need to iron out like, okay, what the impact is. If I take out this resource, how long are we gonna not have this resource? We had one case where we, we, we willingly gave someone to another team because they really needed someone for backend. And then turns out they really like him and now he's their EM. <laughs> so we completely lost that person. Um, and yeah, so, so I mean, of course for us, our team, I know to this day, we still joke about it. Like, you know, we sacrifice one person to you guys to do your projects and all that. I mean, in good spirits for sure. Um, but if we know, I mean, once we know that it is really for something that's critical for the company, because whether it's a very major uh, release that is a bit more timeline sensitive, because I know one particular project was very important for a client that had huge amounts of like money with us. So we cannot afford to like jeopardize that client, for example. So then it is what it is, right? If we if we know that it's for the company's benefit to make this decision, then then so be it. We just want to caution that obviously it should be minimized, right? It's not like every quarter now we start seeing a, a outflow of our resources. Um it, it should be like contained as much as possible to like a one-off thing. Uh yeah. So so that's how we deal with it. And of course, we need to communicate that to the rest of my team members, right? So they know and understand why we have to take out this particular person to be moved to another team altogether for that other urgent priority. So the team knows the reason and that helps them also understand and be willing to, yeah, okay, this is what it is. I, I will make peace with it lah, because it's what's best for the company. Yeah. Okay, I have well, the other side. Oh, I have to, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, 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 go for it, go for it. I wanted to say that I have the other side of perspective because I was looking in compliance. Uh, nothing happens without compliance, right, in a financial institute. So people actually get moved to compliance because we need to comply faster. <laughs> we are like, oh, if you don't release this within the next two months, um, PayPal is not existing in this particular country anymore, for instance. So we actually have additional folks added to our team. Yeah, if we needed that. So yeah, that's the only perspective I can give. <laughs> but yeah, we complete our work faster. Okay, I've, I've, I, I can't add on much because I think Stephanie gave a really good answer. <laughs> but I, I yeah. do want to say, yeah, I think plus one to the perspective on, I think as long as it um benefits the company, I think my personal mantra, like business must win, um, drives me here like in the sense that I think whatever you do should be in the benefit of the company of course not saying that on the like the employee suffering because of that like it must be for good reason and I think if the company and the employee stands to gain a lot from it I think definitely we should drive that uh then the team that's being affected of course maybe I uh, find some middle ground for them like do we want to hire a person to backfill this uh person that was moved over I think yeah that, that's something that things like this should be considered lah. Uh, but then the honors of this then falls on the leaders of these teams to figure it out rather than just thinking about, okay, let's just move one guy and then not think about re repercussions coming after that. Uh, I think it comes twofold, which is firstly, the folks that wants to drive the business or product objectives, then also the people who think about 
like the the people like the people managers who the leadership who thinks about like what people would look at in terms of this issue are you now you have one less person the team is doing less like people would be affected people's perspectives will be uh skewed because of this so you also have to think about how to help uh resolve that lah, on the emotional front of things at the very least i think okay harrison has a second question so i'll bring that second question up uh so the final question from our audience uh in this uh is a squad a permanent fixture in your company or something that oh Okay, I guess this anyone of us can uh, reply. But again, I'll give the honor to Stephanie. Uh, yeah. I think the hope is that it is a permanent fixture to the extent that it can be, unless something radically changes, like oh something like a like a greenfield project comes up, right? A new business line, you know. Then probably if that means that. Another team needs to really be focused on looking at that spearheading that. Then maybe that's a decision that we have to make. Yeah, and and that's something that actually right now my team might be, maybe at <laughs> at that stage. So yeah, the hope is as permanent as possible because you've already given so much time for the team members to like grow and and their expertise in a particular area, you know, and they've gotten into a good state and all that. So, um, and also when I say. Even if you want to move to another team, it's not like the whole team will be dismantled. Actually, the hope is that you still retain the team. It's just that maybe the objective would be a bit different, the mission would be a bit different, but you want to still retain the team members together as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe to add on to that, yeah, I think the my, my suggestion would be uh, for folks who are curious about the squadification model. I think you can search on it. This is uh, driven by Spotify from the start, although. If I'm not wrong, I think Spotify stopped using it, but a lot of other companies have continued on that uh, same model. Lah. And I think yeah, in terms of squadification, that squad itself is not permanent, permanent-ish, but I think for a whole part, as, as long as a company's objectives, uh, the vision uh, that distills down to each of the individual OKRs and squad vision as well doesn't change too much. I think yeah, you shouldn't see your squad being dismantled or changing too much. I mean, at most you'll see like staffing, uh, movements like because people leave companies new people join things like that uh, but yeah huge movements it's not i wouldn't say it's whether it's encouraged or discouraged but it's not a feature la, of uh, the squadification model yeah yeah okay with that that's the final question uh so uh sure and stephanie thanks so much for bringing in your perspectives on this very interesting topic uh yeah i mean we've spoke over the last one hour on this any any parting talks uh parting thoughts that you would like to give the audience in terms of uh building a i guess a kick-ass team for example like you know i'm sure you guys would have worked with really great teams before sure do you have any thoughts <laughs> ah, i feel like um... through the curveball here my personal philosophy is always uh, something that comes from improv, which is which is called yes and. So this is this is the baseline of improv, which is um, when someone comes to you with something maybe unfamiliar with you, first you yes and to accept this person's context or reality of the situation, and then you bring in your thoughts. So to me, mm. it's um, I think collaboration is the most important thing to create a KS team and mm. yes, earning most of the time would get you 
very good collaboration. Mm. Yeah. That's also my personal philosophy. I don't know if it works, but I think it works for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I top that already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think for me, I think at the end of the day, as long as we are genuinely sincere about what we want to do, I mean, as a person, you want to genuinely just want to get things done, working, moving, and you communicate this out to your fellow peers, your colleagues, your whoever you work with, your stakeholders and all that. I, I think that is that helps a lot. Like people know that you want to do things right by the company, you want to do things mm -hmm. right by the end user. And as long as people hopefully see a sense, a glimmer of that sincerity, then I think that 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 is great already by my standards. Like that's a that's at least a starting point that I can just continue to build like relationships on and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. I'm getting uh, too philosophical, maybe. <laughs> your, take, your take. I'll add a little bit here, like, uh, and because this is something that happened to me more recently in the last few months, uh, I'll say, like, um, don't estimate the rah-rah people in your team. Uh, like, in, in terms of, maybe this is more towards driving teamwork, which is that given that today a lot of us are working remotely and I mean, not exactly sometimes in office, but even saying across countries as well. Uh, and I think it, it's it's quite important at some levels to have a, like a few people or maybe even just a single person, right, in a team that always tries to pull the team together, even just conversing about day-to-day -day topics. Uh, I think it would be, can be quite bland and dry if every day you just come for a stand-up and everyone just talk about the work. And then you start working by yourself. And then most of the time, all the rituals is just very, like even though it's supposed to be team, it's very individualistic. You don't know anything about your, your teammates. I think that there can't be much of a personal relations as well as like uh, being able to drive better teamwork because you only have that basic sense of a team, like which is just trying to build a product together. Uh, so I think maybe this is more relevant in this like post-COVID pandemic period. Like, at least something that I've seen more in real life where we are no longer working in the same physical office already. Uh, and because I also, I, I say it's relevant because I kind of nowadays as the EM, I have to keep doing the same things. You guys know I'm an introvert, so I don't know how I have to keep getting people to talk about random stuff. I think yesterday or the day before, during a stand-up, I somehow made a topic about people's haircuts or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Life just works like that. Okay, but anyway, thanks for the great insights, uh, Stephanie, Sher, for today. Uh, really appreciate it. I think it has been over a one hour, but I think we have gotten a lot of great insights in how we can build that good uh, team as well as a product development team together. Thanks for joining in. See you guys. Thank you. Okay, so to uh, before we end off today's session, just want to talk a little bit about our next podcast. Uh, it's going to be themed over here as the design anger. Again, we're touching on simply go again, but this time round, not from the engineering angle, but more from uh, as a from designer's perspective. So actually, I've uh, I'm going to be bringing in two designers uh, from a company I worked from before, Harbor, who are going to be uh, chatting with me on this and giving me that take in terms of how perhaps we could have. Uh, done this better or maybe in hindsight how the design system for this entire migration should be done better and with that we have uh, reached the end of our podcast today thanks for joining us this entire one hour journey 
uh, do subscribe to our socials. I think it'll be in the description of the podcast as well as you can see in the video right here. If you like our stuff, definitely do go to our LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, like, share, subscribe, you know, all those good stuff. And yep, without further ado, thanks for joining and I hope to see you guys next time. Bye.